This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. No matter what your belief is, that is the reality today. You know, in half of households with kids, women bring in at least 40%. So that's huge. And we saw the impact of that in the pandemic. That doesn't just hurt families when women drop out of the workforce. It has a really huge impact on our economy too, our spending power. So this isn't just a woman's problem. This is much larger than that. dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about female breadwinners. As a new entrepreneur, this is a reality that I happily embrace in our household. Without the financial support from my wife and her career, this show would simply not exist, my friends. Our guest today is also a female breadwinner, and she's written a book on how our society should embrace and support more of them. Jennifer Barrett is the Chief Education Officer at Acorns, a financial wellness app with more than 8.5 million users and the founding editor of its popular money site, Grow. She's a contributor for Forbes and has also written for money for publications such as the New York Times, the Washington Post, Worth, Money, and Newsweek, where she was a staff writer and editor. Jennifer's new book is called Think Like a Breadwinner, a wealth-building manifesto for women who want to earn more and worry less. The book is available this month. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thanks so much for having me, Andy. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk about this situation. What do you see as the unique challenges for female breadwinners? You're one. I have one in my lovely household. What are those, what are those unique challenges? I think there are three big challenges that women generally face around this topic. And the first is that many women have been socialized not to think of ourselves as breadwinners, and that's really to our detriment. So not having that breadwinner mindset can keep us from making the kinds of money choices that will really allow us to truly take care of ourselves. So part of what I do in the book is lay out a plan that will allow you to set yourself up to afford the things you want in your life without having to depend on someone else. So the breadwinner mindset is actually very important, whether or not you end up in that main earner role. The second thing is that part of being a breadwinner is really learning how to build wealth to support your future goals. So it's not just paying the bills. So even if you are the main earner, part of being in that role is really being able to provide for yourself and your family in the future too. And that means investing. And a lot of women just have not been taught how to invest. And there's a lot of anxiety around that. So that's another hump I think that we need to get over. Really everyone (laughs) probably has some anxiety about investing and a lot of us don't get good education around that period. But I think women in particular, tend to be more skittish about investing. And we really just need to get into the game there. Whether or not, again, you're the main earner, it's super important to do that. And finally, there remains this bias in the workplace that men will be the breadwinner and women will be the caregiver. And that influences everything from policies to pay to promotions. So we know that there's a motherhood penalty. Women can lose as much as I believe it's 6% or more per child in earnings, whereas men get a bump in compensation, typically, you know, maybe it's not directly tied to having a kid, of course, but we see that men who have a kid tend to earn more, 
women who have a kid tend to earn less, not only than male counterparts, but than women who have no children. So there is definitely something going on there. And then we also know that women are promoted less and are paid less than men who have about the same level of experience and competence as they do. So that means that even if you are a breadwinning woman, you are still getting underpaid, most likely. And so you you find that a lot of women who are in this main earner role still are making less than men who are in the same roles. And that means we have more responsibility now as the main breadwinner, but we are not being paid what we're worth. And that is a real serious problem. So I try to fill in those gaps for women as much as I can in this book. Well, I'm glad you're highlighting this as an important topic. And I have a question on number three. You mentioned that women are thought of as the caregivers and men are the earners. And this is just a classic, whatever, our history of our country that we need to keep moving forward on. How has the pandemic amplified that issue for women over the past year? That's a good question. I mean, we know that there has been a paradigm shift really in the traditional breadwinning model, right? The male breadwinning model came to prominence about 70 years ago and nothing has really shifted in terms of policy since then, not in terms of parental leave or in subsidized childcare or universal pre-K, anything that would really support to working parents. So there's definitely a gap there. But we've also seen in the last couple of decades this paradigm shift that I referred to earlier in that 41% of households now with kids under 18 have a mom who is either the sole or the primary breadwinner. So there has been a shift. You know, women are moving into this role, but culturally we just have not caught up to that reality. And that's a real problem. And it makes it that much more difficult for women who are in this role or women who just want to earn what they're worth, right? Because there are a lot of these underlying assumptions that women's income is secondary to men's. The other assumption that you sort of alluded to, I think, in the pandemic is that even when the woman is the main earner, there is this expectation that she will continue to take on most of the household responsibilities and the childcare. And we saw that play out in the pandemic. And we saw the results when millions of women just hit the breaking point and left the workforce. So I think part of this is a change in policy, right? Policies that will better support both working parents. And part of it is is kind of a shift in expectations at home too, so that men see themselves more often as caregivers and not just providers. And they feel more comfortable stepping into that role as well. And that men take up more of the household responsibilities as well. I mean, that is one of the primary issues that came to light as I was doing research for this book, is that when men do their fair share of the household work, there is a lot less tension. And this, this stat that gets thrown around a lot about when women are the breadwinners, there's a higher increase or higher chance of divorce. That is negated or mitigated. If, if men pick up 50% of the household responsibilities, that essentially mitigates that risk. So what they saw was that when men were not picking up a lot of the household responsibilities, that breeded resentment among the women who were the main earners. It created all sorts of problems in their marriage and you know eventually could lead to divorce or become one of the main factors in leading to divorce. But when men were willing to pick up more household responsibilities and caregiving responsibilities, that absolutely negated the effect of women being the breadwinner. So that's I think that's a really key point is it's not women in the breadwinning role that increases the risk of divorce. It was more often men who did not want to pick up the household and caregiving responsibilities. And so the woman was not only picking up the breadwinning responsibilities, but also those responsibilities. And I think that's what really makes it 
tough if you're a woman who moves into that role is trying to do everything, right? You just can't. I think that's a really good point for the gentlemen that are listening right now that either have a female breadwinner in their household or if they just have a spouse in their household that not only is a function of getting things done, both professionally and in the home, but it can also make your spouse feel more loved as well. I'm a big fan of the five love languages, and one of those love languages is acts of service. So my wife tells me that sometimes there's nothing sexier than me cleaning up the house or oh doing God, the dishes so <laughs> because that's one of her love languages. And I've learned this through trial and error because I love words of affirmation. So when I go to my wife and I say, sweetheart, I love you so much and here's what I love about you and Gush she likes that fine but she much prefers a little bit of help around the house to some beautiful words so it's a good point not only from a productivity standpoint just the sheer capacity of what somebody can get done in their lives both from a a working woman working man as well as the responsibilities of a household but also the love aspect would you agree Oh, I completely agree. And I think this is not to point the fingers at at men at all, because I think a lot of times, I mean, look, they were socialized. I shouldn't say that you and other men were probably socialized to assume you would become the provider. And a lot of a lot of men never had models when they were growing up of men who were really involved with the household responsibilities or even with the caregiving responsibilities. So they feel uncomfortable sometimes stepping into that role. And it's certainly not intuitive. So, for example, with my husband, I would sometimes have to say to him, like, look, I really need you to X, Y, Z. And he'd say, oh, sure, no problem. You know, so it wasn't a matter of him not being willing to do it. I think sometimes it just doesn't occur. And you can tell me if I'm wrong there, but I think sometimes it just doesn't occur to them. And so we, as women, have to also remember that sometimes we just need to ask for that help and be very explicit about how important it is to us to have them pick that work up. And and certainly around childcare, there is so much benefit from allowing men to be more involved in the childcare. I mean, there's so much research out there about all the benefits to the kids, to the father. And I have seen that with my own husband. I mean, he has an incredible relationship with our two boys. And when I look at that compared to my dad, who was the sole breadwinner for much of my childhood, childhood and was not nearly as involved in the childcare, I feel like my dad really missed out. So that's an important point too. It is a good point. And I think you bring up a good point of maybe what men were exposed to. You know, I mean, if we think about, you know, maybe the general demographic of the individual that may be listening to the show, maybe their father grew up in the 50s or the 60s. And what different world did we have back then to what we have now in 2021? So I guess I'm asking for a little leeway. <laughs> what, <laughs> no, and no, I'll give to it your, to you because I, I do think we're all, we're all sort of evolving <laughs> in our expectations, you know, and we have to, a lot of us, when we end up in this dynamic, didn't expect to be here. And so there, there's often no blueprint for it. And you have to sort of sit down with each other and say, okay, how are we going to break this down? You know, and what are we comfortable with? And, and that's really important to do because, you know, we can't assume that people are going to fall into the traditional roles anymore. And I love how you communicate that with your husband and you have that open dialogue. Cause I think that's the beauty of a great marriage too, is open communication, dialogue. There is no perfect marriage. If you have these conversations, you get better every day. And so I think a lot of that happens. You mentioned policy. So let's talk about how this situation could maybe improve with better policy. Is that from the corporation standpoint? Is that from a governmental standpoint? How do we get there? I think it's both. So we're the only industrialized nation that doesn't have mandated paid leave. 
probably heard of that before. We've probably talked about that before. It's sort of stunning to me that that is still the case. And the kinds of conversations we're having now around this, I think there's a lot more momentum. But they're reminiscent to me of what the Scandinavian countries were talking about in the 1970s. So I just wrote a story recently about what they did in Norway. You know, in the 70s, they implemented mandated paid leave and they found that a lot of fathers didn't take it. And so then 20 years later, they started having more discussions around it and they launched this whole public awareness campaign to try and shift the way we think about caregiving and men. And they went through great trouble to do that. And then on top of that, they created a new policy that was basically use it all or lose it for men. And now they have like an incredible adoption rate among men. And that has also helped to close the gender wage gap. It had, it's had all sorts of effects. They have more female labor participation. So it, it has all these benefits, these kind of ripple effect benefits. But we aren't even, we're not even at the point where we're discussing having a mandated paid leave period, much less discussing a specific paternity leave or a use it or lose it paternity leave or taking any of the lessons that we could from a lot of these countries that have already gone through this and seen what works. And that's a little bit frustrating. On the other hand, I think there's tons of momentum this year. Everyone was talking about it. And certainly with everything that came out of the pandemic and just really the incredible pressure that parents were under, I think there's a new awareness of the importance of having paid leave. So there is momentum around that in terms of legislation. And I think more companies are becoming aware of that too. And then another sign of progress, I think, has been the pandemic showed us that working remotely doesn't mean you're less productive necessarily. And so I think a lot of companies are more open to, to having more flexibility, to having remote work options. And that will also benefit working parents, but particularly working moms, since we know that they still do pick up most of the child care responsibilities. So those are two things. And then generally, there's just bias in the workplace around, you know, women versus men and this idea that men will be the breadwinner and women will be the caregivers and they will step back from their career to take care of kids. I think that bias still exists in a lot of workplaces and that will inform a lot of things sort of unconsciously, how women are paid, how women are promoted, the kinds of opportunities they get. And so we need to really address those explicitly. And then I think on an individual level, and I talk about this in the book, is sort of how to make sure that you don't become a victim of those kinds of actions that can result from those biases and just kind of take charge of your career and make sure that you don't get thrust onto the mommy track or that you don't get the promotion or the opportunities that you want or you get shoved into office housework, which is another thing that happens. But just to be aware of that on an individual level, too, so that you don't fall victim to it. Okay, well, let's talk to the individuals that are you know, working in their careers and trying to grow it. They're very happy with what they do and they want to continue to build that. What are some of those traps? What are some things that they should avoid or seek in order to continue to be breadwinners? So women in particular, there's a lot of research around this. We are more likely to get assigned what's called office housework, which is, which is work essentially that's not promotable. So that is like joining a committee or planning meetings or it could be any number of things that aren't part of your job description and aren't likely to help you get that next promotion. So that's one thing is to be aware of when you are given assignments or asked to do things that are outside the realm of your particular job description and outside the realm of the types of things that will give you more visibility and help lead to that promotion to just be aware of that and to try to deflect those in different ways. And I provide some examples in the book, but you know, generally 
if you can show, look, if I do that, that's going to take me away from this fill in the blank with a very high priority project. You can kind of deflect some of those requests, but you need to really be aware of them because the research also shows that we are sort of socialized to be very accommodating and agreeable. And so we tend to say yes more often to this work. I know I have fallen victim to this myself, where we say yes to a lot of things without really thinking about the impact on us. And then it's really easy to get overloaded. So that's one thing. The other thing to be aware of is especially when you are pregnant or are getting ready to go out on leave to make sure it's clear that you are available for assignments, that you are still committed to advancement in your career if you are, and make sure you have those conversations with your manager about, I'm going to be coming back, you know, in, in X amount of time, looking ahead, what are the things that I should be aware of? How can I, you know, make sure that this time away doesn't hold me back? Just to make sure that you're not being penalized. And sometimes it's not even consciously penalized, but subconsciously penalized by your manager or other other people in the company who make assumptions about your commitment to the company or whether or not you're going to come back full time and be as ambitious as you were before, you can clarify a lot of that stuff before you go out on maternity leave. So, and I give examples of how some women did it, very specific examples in the book too. But that's another thing. So just sort of being aware of the assumptions and biases that exist in the workplace and making sure you're not just aware of them, but you are addressing them and in a way that will allow you to really navigate around them and and continue to advance in your career. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan 
above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello. Let's jump back into the show. I think a big way to combat bias and, you know, just things that are obstacles in your career is when you have, you know, some good confidence. And I know confidence can come when you are able to build wealth. I know that from experience. The more money I had in the bank, the more I felt confident to express my viewpoint. And then lo and behold, whoa, I'm, I'm actually getting a raise or I'm getting a, a bump. So what do you suggest to women and, and men that are listening to getting that wealth building that gives them the confidence? Talk about that for us. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And that is certainly, I have felt that myself too, as I was able to build more wealth and become less dependent on each paycheck. It certainly had that effect. My dad used to call it the go to hell fund. <laughs> so he, he, he started socking money away and investing it. And with the idea that he would have enough so that he never felt like he was trapped in a job that he really hated or in a toxic workplace or any of that. And so I took me a little while to really absorb that lesson and apply it myself. But I think, I think what you say is spot on. You know, I, I tell women a lot of times, like use each of your paychecks as an opportunity to become less dependent on your next paycheck. So any money coming in, think of it as a tool to help you build your wealth. How much money can you take out of each paycheck to start putting towards your future and start growing that money by investing it in stocks, investing it in bonds, investing it in real estate and a home. And that will help you build wealth and that will decrease your dependence on each paycheck. And, and to your point, it is so true that if you are living paycheck to paycheck and you have very little savings, you are so deeply dependent on your paycheck. And that can really detract from your confidence, right? You are so nervous about losing the job that that's how you show up at work. And I think if you start building wealth and you start feeling confidence around that, number one, you feel confident that you can build wealth, right? And there's, there's, that's important in itself, but you also become less dependent on your paycheck. And so there's a sort of, okay, you're less dependent on every single paycheck. And if you're in a situation at work that is not working for you, you now have the confidence to know that you can step away from that, that you're not trapped someplace or trapped in a bad situation even. And I think that's such an important point. You talk about dependence there and then then confidence that trickles outside of your career, too. Let's talk about maybe people who are in a relationship that might feel, I don't know, restricting. What can that wealth building do for a relationship that you feel trapped in? Yeah, I mean, it applies to every area of your life. And and I will say, I mean, one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because I was getting to the age where I was starting to see the results, where women were starting to feel the results of not having adopted that breadwinner mindset themselves and built their own wealth. And, and the consequences of that are incredibly painful. So in one case, a woman was married with two kids and she was being abused and she had stepped out of the workforce and was completely dependent on her husband and was afraid to leave because she didn't think she could afford to leave. So, I mean, that's an extreme example, but it's not unrealistic. I mean, if you are dependent on a spouse, if you are dependent on every single paycheck, it gives you less power and it gives you less choice. And that is 
such a big deal. You know, it's not just about saving money to, I don't know, have a girl's getaway once we're done with this pandemic or to buy an expensive handbag or anything like that. You know, more savings equals more choices. And that is such an important message for everyone to hear, but particularly for women. You say it in the title, make more and worry less. I think that's a very good point. Let's talk about your history a little bit. I'd love to hear how you have built your career. I started as a as a reporter, making so little that I qualified for food stamps. So there's that. <laughs> so I have been there. And I think a big part of that, a lesson from that, is that when I chose my career path, I had many conversations about it with my parents, with my college advisor. We, you know, and all of them encouraged me to pursue my passion for journalism. And, you know, you can do anything you want and have a wonderful career there. We never once talked about the compensation never once talked about the pay. So in my own naivety, I got my first job and was stunned (laughs) to find out how little I made and then tried to close the gap with credit cards initially and eventually got a second job and and then eventually moved on to the management track after I had sort of my wake-up call and, and shifted the way I was thinking about money in my career so that I was being more strategic and making the kinds of choices that would support the life I want. But initially... Yeah, I, I, like a lot of people or a lot of women, picked a job because I loved it and only thought about the money later. That definitely was a big regret of mine. Now, I think I still would have gone into journalism, but I would have done it much more strategically. I think, I, you know, knowing how much I would make, I think I would have taken a second job from the beginning. I would have looked at better paying opportunities within the field, all of that. But yes, pay was not part of that discussion. So that was a lesson I had to learn the hard way. Yeah, it's a tough decision to ask people to do at 18 or 20 years old, say, hey, pick the career you're going to do for the rest of your life and make sure you love it because you got to follow your passion and then make sure you get paid good money. It's very confusing. So it's a lot of trial and error for a lot of people. Talk to us about when you got to that management track and you started to make some decent money. What did you do to start building wealth to give yourself some confidence going forward? Yeah. So I had a a kind of wake up call myself in my early thirties. And at the time I wasn't doing badly. I mean, I was an editor at a national magazine. We had a very young son at the time. He was about 18 months old and we were sharing a one bedroom apartment and we were sharing our bedroom with our son. And I looked around one day and realized, or one evening while I was trying to put him back to sleep and realized we were in a completely unsustainable situation. (laughs) And I looked at my finances and I had a little savings. I had a 401k. I was just you know, getting to the end of paying down my credit card debt, I was in no position financially to help us get out of that situation. And I think that was my real wake up call was suddenly thinking, wow, I so badly want a second child. I so badly want to stay in New York. We love it here. All our friends are here. We've built this network here. We want to put down roots here and we want to get another place. I can't afford to help us make that happen. And that was a really tough moment for me of reckoning. My husband had lost his job not long before and gotten another one, but now our our salaries were much closer together. And I think subconsciously, I was still sort of thinking he'd be the one to kind of build the wealth that would help us do that. So I realized I needed to step up. So I there were a whole series of choices I made, but just quickly, I left the job I had, which uh, I didn't think I was being paid enough in and wasn't able, didn't think I'd be able to close that gap. They were offering buyouts. I volunteered for a buyout. I invested the entire thing. I started freelancing with the assumption that if I needed to, I could touch that money in my investment account, but really trying not to. And I ended up not touching it all. In fact, putting more into that investment account, I was very motivated. Then I got the management job. The management job was 
I want to say, I mean, within two years or so, I was making more than double, almost triple what I had made in the job that I left. So I was able to increase my income pretty quickly. And now I was really negotiating, not just for myself, but for my family and the, the, the second son I wanted and actually was pregnant not long after I got the management job. So there was a lot more at stake. And I also did an exercise that I think can be really powerful, which is I sat down and wrote out the things I really wanted. I wrote out exactly what I wanted this this home to look like that we wanted to buy, where it would be. I knew I wanted a second child. And so that was my why. And I thought about that every day. And so every day it was really about making choices that would bring me closer to that. And so within three years, I was able to save and invest enough to put down most of the down payment on the home we're still in. And I was pregnant with our second son when we moved in. And then I just continued to build on those habits, just continuing to invest. I invest, you know, more than 20% every year in retirement and, and in regular brokerage accounts, 529s for my kids, all of that, often more than 20%. I know that's not feasible for everybody, but for me, you know, I've gotten to the point where as I made more money, I just siphoned most of that off to invest more with the goal of becoming, as I said before, just less and less dependent on my paycheck with each, with each increase I got. I tried to use that money to make me less dependent on my paychecks and help grow my wealth. I love that. Well, let's talk about investing a little bit because I feel like that has been an integral part of your journey. And I know that's a big passion to what you guys do within your organization. So that can be a sticking point for a lot of people investing. Sometimes people think it's purposely confusing and there's a lot of information out there to make it confusing. What can we do to make it simple for people to get started with investing? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that drew me to Acorns. So I was in media for several years before that and a financial journalist and was constantly writing the same kind of headlines like Americans don't save enough, we're on the brink of a retirement crisis. It just felt like I was writing the same headlines over and over again. And eventually I was personal finance editor over at CNBC and we were covering fintechs and we wrote about Acorns and I thought the solution was so simple and so perfect. The idea that one of our features is a roundup feature. You connect your card and every time you spend, we round up the change and invest it. And what was so attractive to me about that as a solution for a lot of the problems that we wrote about is that it just removes this risk aversion that a lot of people have around investing. And it removes this idea that you have to have a lot of money in order to start investing. So if you can invest your spare change, number one, it's spare change. I mean, like what else is it going to do? Collect dust, you know, in your couch, right? So the risk is so low. And the other part of that is that it suddenly made it so accessible, right? If you could just round up your change and invest it, or you can invest $5, $10, it suddenly doesn't feel like this big leap anymore to start building wealth. And that was really, I mean, that's the mission of Acorns is to help everyday Americans save and invest for their future. And it really is, I mean, it is a mission-driven company. Everybody at that company really truly believes in that and the importance of allowing everyone to be able to build wealth. And so that's one way. I mean, Acorns does that. There are other fintech companies out there too that are making it a lot easier to start investing. I like that Acorns picks a portfolio for you so you don't have to think about it. Some people like to pick their own stocks and there are other companies that do that. But the most important thing to do is just get in the game. Even if you're putting in like to start, 
I don't know, five, 10, $20 a week or a month. It's just really getting in there and getting in the game and then getting used to it and growing your knowledge and then investing more. But the worst thing you can do is to not get in the game because, you know, time is the most important factor there in terms of, of growing your investments, growing your wealth, because we know about compounding over the years, your interest, your returns will compound. And so that's what I mean by your money working for you, right? your money is growing. You don't even have to touch it. You know, that's so important. And time is the biggest factor there. That's a beautiful feeling. Yes. I mean, whether it's a tool like Acorns or other great fintech apps out there, just taking advantage of your workplace options, you know, matching and things like that, getting started, what do they say? The best time to invest was yesterday or today? Oh, so true. <laughs> right now. Right now. As soon as you listen to this, if you haven't started investing, start today. Absolutely. Well, you know, we had a good conversation today and a big part of it is this sort of societal taboo that we have going on with women in the workplace and and, and female breadwinners. Uh, I always like to have this devil's advocate that's listening to the show and maybe they're listening and thinking, you know, it's not that women, you know, sort of lack the confidence, it's that this exists in our society. This is a historical, I mean, not what is it, not a hundred years ago, women weren't allowed to vote in our country. This is a byproduct of that sort of sexist, patriarchal society that we have. It's just going to take time for it to catch up. What would you say to that? We can accelerate that process, I think. I think by being aware, you know, whether you're a woman or a man, of just being aware that that exists and really seeing the benefits of allowing, for example, men and women to both experience breadwinning and caregiving seeing the the benefits of a woman earning more income and just to understand how critical a woman's income is today, just the reality of that, you know, no matter what your belief is, that is the reality today. You know, in half of households with kids, women bring in at least 40%. So that's huge. And we saw the impact of that in the pandemic. That doesn't just hurt families when women drop out of the workforce. It has, it has a really huge impact on our economy too, our spending power. So this isn't just a woman's problem. This is really, this is much larger than that. And so I think everyone has the incentive to really help to shift things to be more more equitable. But I, I hear you. And, and it's been, you know, 70 years ago, the male breadwinner model rose to prominence. Women only got credit, you know, less than 50 years ago. So, you know, it's a work in progress. And I, I am very hopeful that we'll get to a point where we're closing the, the gender wage and wealth gaps, but it will take some time. I'd love for this to be, and I don't know why it's not, just a a hand-in-hand movement for everybody that this is a positive thing for our country, our world. There are so many benefits to supporting women. And if it becomes sort of a combative thing, think about the women in your life. Think about your mother. Think about your daughter. Think about your sister. And why would you not want to make the world a better place for all those people that you love? So I don't know. This is uh, get on my soapbox. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I agree. I think it benefits everybody. And it's not really a competition so much as just creating a more level playing field so that everybody has the same kind of opportunities, not just women. I mean, obviously this is broader than just a gender issue, but, but we do want to create a more level playing field for everyone. So everyone has those opportunities. I mean, that really benefits, that benefits everybody ultimately. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of my daughter as we do this interview right now. So let's talk to that female breadwinner out there right now, or, or somebody that's saying, Hey, I want to think like a, a breadwinner. What is the first step they should take following this interview? The first thing I asked myself was, if I had been brought up to to think like a breadwinner, 
how would that change the choices I make with my money? So in other words, if I had been brought up to believe that I would be fully financially responsible for myself for life and probably a family, how would that change the choices I made with my money? And in my case, it was very different. (laughs) My choices would have been very different, but it made me kind of shifted my mindset. And I think that that's really important. A simpler version of that question is just to ask whether the choices you're making with your money are bringing you closer to the future that you want or taking you further away from it. That sort of requires sitting down and thinking about the things that are most important to you and then making sure that all your money choices line up to support that. And invest. Oh, invest. And invest, of course. <laughs> <So> absolutely. <important. laughs> and then for the men that are listening right now, what can we do as a collective to help more females in this role and support them? Sure. And I think so many men are, are doing so much to support women and support their partners. So I, I never want this to be a divisive kind of issue. I think we really need men as our partners and as our supporters too. It's so important. But as I mentioned before, I mean, the the data shows that women still pick up most of the household responsibilities and the childcare responsibilities, even when they are the primary breadwinner. And so one, you know, one small thing or really big thing that a lot of male partners could do is just to ask their female partners, particularly if their female partners are the breadwinners, what can I do to support you at home? What can I do to support you? And That's so huge. Just that question is so huge because a lot of times we don't ask for help. And so having someone come to us and ask how, you know, how they can support us is so important. I love it, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Where's the best place for people to find this book, Think Like a Breadwinner, and maybe learn more from you? You can go to my website. It's Jennifer Barrett. It's dot com, and find out all the information you want on me and on the book. And it's available everywhere as of April 6th. So you can order it at your local or national bookseller. Excellent. Well, congratulations for this mission you're on and all that you've done for your family and your career. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Oh, thank you. This has been so fun. Thanks for having me. An important conversation to have, not just for women, but for everyone. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Jennifer Barrett. Number one, when you make more, you can worry less. Have you heard the saying, more money, more problems? Well, it doesn't have to be that way if you got a plan for that money. When you make more money, you'll have more options, the confidence to speak your mind, and cash to pay down debt, invest, and give. These are all good things. Number two, help your wives win. Are you married to a female breadwinner? Well, think about what you can do to further support your spouse this week. Perhaps her love language is acts of service. And she'd really feel the love if the dishes or the laundry wasn't on her to-do list this week. Sometimes we fall into these gender stereotypes because our family's history was in those roles. But something's off if we're asking our women to take care of all those gender stereotype assignments and bring home most of the bacon as well. So let's reassess what marriage roles we have and see how we can help our ladies win and feel the love. Number three, creating a level playing field is good for all. 
According to Forbes, women on average make 82 cents on the dollar for what a white non-Hispanic man makes. If you're in the position to create gender parity at your company, start making the moves to do so. Equal work, equal pay. Large companies and small companies are making this shift because it's the right thing to do, my friends. General Motors, we just heard about this last week, General Motors just became the only automaker with a board of directors that's majority women. Talk about progress. That's awesome. Companies are seeing this as a smarter way to do business because equality is good for the world. Promoting, supporting, and helping women is good for the world. So let's all be part of this positive change. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. Big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing our show today. Thanks again, Dan. And Alec Collins for editing our YouTube videos. You can check out the YouTube channel at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash YouTube. But before we go for the day, I want to encourage you to join our Thriving Families Facebook community. You can join me and over 1,000 other families as we help each other thrive this year. Recently, we've been all throwing down some goals for the second quarter of this year, and one of our newest members, Allison, just shared some goals with us, and here they are. Number one, buy a lawnmower because ours is officially dead. Yeah. Number two, pay off my vehicle. Number three, clean out our shed. And number four, plan fun family activities since we agreed to no travel vacations this year. Allison, way to go writing them down. And the fact that you've written them down is a great way for us to all hold you accountable. So thank you for doing that. I'm a big fan of this, everybody. Writing our goals down, posting them somewhere where we can hold ourselves accountable or where other people can hold us accountable. And that's what our group's all about. So can I get a round of applause for our friend Allison for making some awesome goals for herself? All right, Allison, we go. Very cool. If you want to set some goals and be held accountable for them this spring or any time, really, please join us at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. We would love to see you there. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Sheryl Sandberg. In the future, there will be no female leaders. There will just be leaders. Support the women in your life and give them wings to soar, my friends. Carpe diem. 